The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Dan Fitton, your host, and today I am joined by His Excellency, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Brooksville, Florida, Bishop Donald Sanborn, and Reverend Father Anthony Chicardo, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great, Cincinnati. Welcome, my Lord and Father. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here once again. And welcome once again to our listeners. It's never a dull day in the Novus Ordo Church. However, before we begin discussing the latest abominations issue and fall from the Vatican, I just want to remind our listeners that if you don't already, please check out NovusOrdoWatch.org. Without their tireless dedication to exposing the rot within the Vatican, we'd all be clueless. Pretty much kind of like the SSPXR, really. Um, This month on Francis Watch, His Excellency, Father Chicardo and I will be discussing what Bergie's been up to recently, the avalanche of terrorism in recent times, and we'll be highlighting some of the goons or henchmen that Bergie has surrounded himself with. So part one, what's he been up to recently? So at our last recording, which was um, just at the beginning of May, um, there's been quite a few things that's happened this month. Although I was talking to my Lord and Father before the show, and uh, I, I believe it was quite a slow news month. However, there are quite some gems in there. Um, so the, the first one is um, a, a article by Crooks Now, and uh, this talks about um, Bergoglio actually urging his best priest to be sent to the peripheries. Um and this was done in a. This was said in a audience uh, with the Pope, and uh, he's a legendarily. Um, he's talking about a, a Pope of the. He is a Pope of the peripheries, and uh, he describes in his comments here about. Um, I don't know what to say to you. Better if you ask some questions, so I can get inspired and won't say something stupid, and. <laughs> well, that would be a miracle. <laughs> they can cite that in his in his uh, ca- process of canonization that he didn't say something stupid when he opened his mouth one time. Sort of irresistible to comment on that one. I've got to say. Yes. Yes. And I mean, um, in a re- a listener should know that uh, if if they're new to the series that. Um, we're not saying something like that uh, simply to be insulting, but one of the consistent qualities of Bergoglio uh, for uh, all these years is that he always manages to say something that is that is really really stupid. It's 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 like a, 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 a characteristic, as it were. <laughs> 
Uh, something, that's the only way you could describe it, too. It's not something mistaken. I mean, you wouldn't say, well, he's mistaken about that. or he, It's dumb. It, it, you know, it, it, I mean, and only clergy could, perhaps could realize it. You know, you'd have to be clergy, but you know, it, it, it's just so dumb what he says all the time. I mean, you, you can tell the man is not endowed with a lot of intelligence. You know, that, that's clear. And... Uh, and uh, there's a great deal of uh, ignorance, too. Not enough ignorance to excuse him from heresy because he denies things that are even in, in the basic catechism. So, you know, he certainly learned his catechism when he was a child, and he denies things that are in the catechism. But the, the uh, you know, as far as even a basic knowledge of theological things, he, he, he hasn't a clue. And, uh, or historical things. He's, he's all mixed up. And, and, and then he says an awful lot of stupid things. It's the only word for it. Well, speaking of being, um, speaking of being mixed up, um, so right at the beginning of May, we had a new Pope video. Um, now, I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch that um, Oscar-winning film that is, but um, without actually viewing it, I've managed to get the transcript for it. So I'll just briefly read out um, what the latest Pope video says. So it's all, uh, the Pope, the video is all sort of very schmoozy. It's um, all about Africa. And um, so it's, you have Jorge Bergoglio narrating saying, when we look at Africa, we see much more than its great natural richness. We see its joie de vivre, the joy of living. And above all, we see the grounds for hope in Africa's rich intellectual, cultural and religious heritage. But we cannot fail to see the fratricidal wars decimating peoples and destroying these natural and cultural resources. Let us join with our brothers and sisters of this, on this great continent and pray together that Christians in Africa, in imitation of merciful Jesus, may give prophetic witness to reconciliation, justice and peace. And that is the video from uh, the Pontiff of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, um, I, I have a few questions for you, my Lord and Father. Um, what exactly is he talking about here? Do you know? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> he can talk for well, sentences. Well, first I'd of... say this, <laughs> that... Any sort of intellectual and cultural and religious heritage in Africa came, excuse me, but from the Europeans. And that before the Europeans arrived, there was nothing but primitive culture and cannibalism and all sorts of odd uh, spiritist religions, worship of snakes, and there was not a great deal of intellectual activity going on in Africa. Certainly, uh, we don't know about it. And uh, the uh, Africans reacted very nicely to the uh, intellectual, uh, cultural, and religious uplifting that they received from Europe. But, you know, that's what you're talking about in Africa. If they have any of those things, it's from Europe. I know that's politically incorrect and everything, all the bells are going off, but that's true. It's true uh, that, uh, that they owe whatever they have to Europe and especially to the Catholic Church 
that sent missionaries with all of the uh, early discoveries uh, with the Portuguese and, and, and also the Catholic Church, uh, I said in my recent newsletter, condemned as early as the mid-1400s the slave trade that was already going on. Condemned it. So uh, the, the uh, they they you know Europe uh, Africa owes a great deal to to Europe. Uh, but um, I was very impressed, for example, by the uh, educational level of Father Inkamaki and and other um, seminarians that we had here from Nigeria. But I recognized right away that that was British education. That was all because I looked at their documents. I looked at their their, their whole educational background, you could tell that that was all British. And uh, they absorbed it very well, and, and they do well, but they, you know, you're looking at a, just as, as the Indians in this country uh, benefited from European emigration and colonization. I mean, they didn't even have the wheel. They couldn't read. The Indians that saw the Jesuits reading a letter and could not figure out how a piece of paper could make them speak words. That was in Canada in, in the 1640s, that, that, oh, this is amazing that by t taking this piece of paper, you know, you can get words out of it. And uh, so, you know, these were people, and we're not disparaging them, they were just left to their own lights and, and uh, you might say their own darkness uh, through effects of original sin, having been cut off from even natural civilization, having been cut off from, say, the civilizations of Greece and Egypt and all of those other places that developed early, for some reason or other, they, they got lost out of those civilizations and uh, were in very primitive conditions and they lived on in survival mode, what you call survival mode, just going from day to day. And yes, human beings decline in that situation. So. To talk about Africa's rich intellectual, cultural, and religious heritage, you're 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 talking about what they received as we did in this country from Europe, which had the benefit of being Catholic for so many centuries and having a culture and a religion and an intellectual life to give. Um, I think what's quite telling in this, uh, in, in just from reading over again the um, the, the narration, was that um, so he talks about Africa's rich intellectual, cultural, and religious heritage. Now he he doesn't talk about um, his its Catholic heritage or its Christian heritage, and I think this is a homage to uh, JP two and um, his voodoo snake worshiping. Um, fraternization um, that the fact that it is quite telling that they they use the word religious rather than Christian or Catholic yes but this is all in accordance with their ecumenical beliefs which are contrary to the Catholic faith well, what his excellency said is clear and uh, a, a concise um, summary of uh, the reason why these different uh, places in the world have a cultural and, and a true religious heritage because of the true religion, the Catholic religion. And what uh, obviously what Bergoglio is, is trying to do here is in the uh, name, I guess, of political correctness and of sort of leveling everything, trying to portray um, all 
religious, cultural, and intellectual heritages as uh, pretty much the same and uh, as as equivalent. And of course, that is the um, uh, that's very much the gospel of of modern secular society. And it's no surprise that he goes along with it and preaches it himself. Mm. Uh, there's also a um, in in the video itself. Um, there's quite a few symbolism of mirrors. So you have um, there's images of you know poor children talking to each other um, as um, uh, Bergoglio is narrating this piece. Uh, but there's 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 uh, and this was mainly picked up by Novus Ordo Watch is that um, whilst mirrors don't really have a special significance in the Catholic Church, um, they do actually have a special significance in Freemasonry. Um, which is uh, accordance with um, a Masonic source. Now, I urge you listeners to go on to novosordowatch.org and read that for yourselves. Or um, if you wish, uh, we have a show on uh, Freemasonry in the Catholic Church um, behind the lodge door on True Restoration. But um, my Lord and Father, do, did you pick up anything about mirrors and the, the Freemasonry underlying tones within the video? Uh, no, I have to say I didn't. Uh, that's something that's completely new to me, Masonic mirrors. Uh, I'm not all that up on Masonic lore, I have to say. Yeah, I think that's a little far-fetched, my opinion, to to make that criticism. I mean, it may be true, but uh, yeah, it's not as, I think it's far-fetched. That's the only way I could say it. You know? uh, the, the, the it's, 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 it's somewhat akin to the idea of, or, or, uh, Bugnini, well, uh, you know, concocted the new mass. Well, the issue of whether or not he was a, a Mason. Well, you know, uh, I think the general consensus now, even at the Vatican, is that yes, he was a Mason, but that wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem was that he was a modernist and that he hated the Catholic faith. So, and uh, even if he had, had, had not been a Mason and simply that, uh, that's how he uh, would have... Um, uh, communicated the the errors of the modernists mm -hmm. through those particular ideas. Mm -hmm. hmm. Oh well. Um, so, moving on to talking more about Francis. So, in the middle of May, um, he uh, used our favourite word again, and it's not discernment; it's rigidity. So, um, <laughs> this was a, um, a morning morning mass at uh, the Casa Santa Marta. And he was talking about the. It was the, fir the first reading was from the Acts of the Apostles, and um, Bergoglio focused on the figure of Saint Paul, who, from being a rigid persecutor, became meek and patient proclaimer of the gospel. And I'll I'll read the um, the, the quote from the homily. They are rigid people living a double life. They make themselves look good, sincere, and when no one but no one sees them, they do ugly things. On the other hand, this young man was honest. He believed that, I think, when I say of this, of many young people in the church today who have fallen into the temptation of rigidity. Some are sincere. They are good. We have to pray that the Lord may help them grow along the path of meekness. Uh, being tempted by rigidity. That, that's the one quote in there that um, struck out to me, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... Uh, to say, first of all, that 
that St. Paul became meek and patient, you know, as if he turned into a lamb. I mean, not to say that he was, he lacked those virtues, but he was a tiger. You, you can see his personality right, coming right up off the page in those epistles. And he was a, a roaring lion. And whenever it was necessary to call a spade a spade with regard to people who were out of line, he did so. I mean, there are some quotes from St. Paul where you can see the, the, there's some very justified anger in him, and he's quite rigid. He's quite rigid on the question of adultery and fornication, for example. Very rigid. Those people are going to hell. Right? So, uh, you know, his, his portrayal of St. Paul as some sort of... Uh, weak sister, let's say, uh, is totally false. Again, it's another stupid thing to say because anybody who's familiar with St. Paul would never you know, say that he was transformed into some meek little lamb. Not at all. All of his energy and, and force of personality was transformed into service to the faith. That's what you could say. And of course, you know, he didn't... Yeah, his, 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 own, his symbol is a sword. Right. You know, it, it, the, the uh, Spiritus Gladius, the uh, two-edged sword uh, of uh, the spirit, and I mean, that's hardly a... That's hardly uh, meek in the sense that Bergoglio means it. You know, he means... Uh, I don't know, something like a noodle or something. <laughs> but the noodle of meekness. But uh, <laughs> that's the first thing that occurred to me, to your excellency, is that all of this St. Paul, uh, it all comes uh, up off the page at you, or when you hear, hear it chanted in, in, in uh, church, that he was a um, uh, uh, forward and uh, fearless uh, proclaimer of the gospel, that he was not a, um, not a wallflower, someone who sat off in the corner. So how even um, someone as stupid as Bergoglio can say this, um, <laughs> you know, is, is uh, you know, one of those other mysteries. Mm -hmm. Yes, and as a matter of fact, you know, the, the authorship of the epistle of, to the Hebrews was questioned in the early church, whether St. Paul wrote it or not. And the church has since said, yes, he did. But the, the reason is that his style is so different in Hebrews. Uh, the, the explanation is that he was writing to priests. It was more like a theological treatise to priests of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, to, not to Catholic priests, but to the, the temple priests of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, whereas he was preaching in the others, he was talking to lay people, and so that's the reason why his style is so different. But so much is St. Paul characterized by his force and power that, that they even, even St. Jerome, you know, said, is St. Is Paul the author of this? <laughs> because he's not his usual lion-esque self. You know, yes. and uh, I think that's an interesting point. So again, you know, this is somebody, this is known by everybody. It's known by people in the pew that St. Paul was a very, very strong person in all of his personality and his presentation. If you read St. Peter, for example, or St. John, it's, it, it's a whole different style. And, and uh, so again, this is dumb. Uh, but speaking about uh, rigidity, today we were talking about it in the, in the class uh, on the church, De Ecclesia, and the seminarians are going to come up with a syllabus of errors. That is, how many times since 2013 Bergoglio has used the term rigid? 
and all of the condemnations that he has made uh, of rigidity and who is rigid and, and what's, you know, how horrible they are. So that should be interesting. We'll publish the, the Bergoglio syllabus of errors. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Condemning all those people who are saying rosaries and counting rosaries and all of that. Remember all of that going back. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we'll come up with uh, Bergoglio's. It'll be very lengthy. I mean, he's, he's done that many, many times a year. It'll be a lengthy uh, syllabus. Who's rigid and what's going to happen to them? Yeah, there's so, there's so much. I, I did a, um, um, uh, I put together uh, what I call a Sadie Vacantis primer, and you can find that on, on fatherchicada.com, that um, pulls together different articles about the question of the Pope, etc. But uh, if you look at the errors of Bergoglio on there, I mean, uh, after uh, two and a half years, there were just so many of them, one couldn't keep track of them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was, uh, the, and uh, you know, sounding the same stupid themes uh, over and over and over about um, rigidity and and the god of surprises, etc. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a formidable work. So it's uh, for the seminaries. It's four years of it. That's <laughs> yes. really an awful lot. Yeah, yeah I know. It's probably going to have many volumes as well, my lord. You, you'll probably have uh, yes, part one, part two, part three. <laughs> we'll have Al Gore on our back for cutting down so many trees <laughs> to publish it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I also, I mean, in that um, speech, uh, I was in that homily there. He talks about um, there's there's the reference to young um, young people being tempted by rigidity. Um, he always he seems to always attack the youth as if to um, stop them from being a proper Catholic um, at, at the at a very young age, um, in the hopes they become a wise old modernist like him. And uh, well, that's because the youth are, are going for the traditional mass and they are rejecting the Novus Ordo. That's the reason for that. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly it. And uh, that's another theme that uh, one sees in his, his speeches the past couple of years, that he says it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, seems inconceivable to uh, someone like him that the youth would not go for this new stuff. But uh, uh, many, many of them don't. You know, more so certainly than uh, during the 1970s and 1980s when the traditional movement was trying to crank up. Yeah, I saw the statistic when I prepared my speech in Australia that 80% uh, that of those baptized in the Novus Ordo have left the Novus Ordo by age 23. So they're no longer going to church. And I saw, uh, you know, a complaint about that uh, in uh, a newspaper a number of years ago, Catholic newspaper, Nova Sordo newspaper, a number of years ago, that they can't keep the youth in those churches. And, you know, if you, at least in this country, if you walk by one of those churches on a Sunday, it's usually gray-haired people that are there. They have had drilled into them in their youth the idea that you must go to church every Sunday. And, and despite whatever they may think about the Novus Ordo, they are there. But they will not last forever. The, the, you know, you see some young people, but overall it's, it's the uh, older generation that is populating those churches right now. 
And they can't get them into the seminaries either, goodness knows. Oh, no, uh, no, absolutely Unless not. they're slightly conservative. Um, I talked, yeah, uh, I talked with a um, uh, young man about two weeks ago who had gone through the RCIA program, the Novus Ordo supposed catechesis program for uh, reception into the new church, and he had come from uh, some sort of a Protestant background. And um, uh, he said that, you know, I feel as if they really taught me nothing. You know, the, you uh, certainly didn't hear about uh, this Catholic doctrine, that Catholic doctrine, and certainly nothing uh, like what I've heard from coming to Mass here over, uh, you know, the past couple of, just the past couple of months, that uh, um, they give you sort of a non, uh, non-formation, it's all the feel-good stuff. He said he never heard uh, in, in four years of... Uh, both in convert instruction and as a member of the Novus Order Church, never heard a talk or a um, uh, sermon about purgatory. Never once. <laughs> that would make it's sense. Off the completely off the radar screen. Yeah. No. They, uh, it, as Bergoglio says, religion is an encounter with Jesus. You see that that we shouldn't uh, be preaching uh, ideology. That's something he just said the other day. That we should not be oh, teaching yeah, ideology, yeah. but that that we should just be preaching Jesus Christ. He was talking to missionaries or about missionaries, that they should just go out and announce Jesus Christ, and they shouldn't teach ideology. Ideology is, is a code hmm. word for dogma. Yeah. So I think the the the, the big question uh, to those missionaries is how's that working out for you, right? <laughs> In terms of conduct. Yes. Yes. Well, even converting so is probably something that is repulsive. I think you're just supposed to awaken people to Christ, and then they go their own way, whatever that is. Oh, that's the new evangelization. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you see it increasingly um, in modern times that um, people or people who have a, a Christian background, they choose not to baptize their child or christen their, chil- their children. Um, because they want them to grow up and choose their own religion when they when they reach age, and um, uh, uh, contrary to that, I also have uh, several non-Catholic friends who baptize their children anyway, and um, they never go to church. They go to church for the christening or the baptism, and then the children never go, and the parents never go, and it's sort of it's the the. The, the culture acceptance, so you must get your children baptized. It's the same thing as getting married in a church. You know, you must get married in a church because that's what we've always done. And, um, I mean, both cases are pretty much an absurdity, really. That's known as ceremonial religion, where there's no moral aspect of the religion at all, nothing. But it consists purely of ceremonies. It was like the ancient Roman religion. Every once in a while, you'd take a chicken and sacrifice it in front of an idol. But there was no code of morals. It did not affect your moral life in any way. Just, just as long as you go through that ceremony, and there was the the a superstition, you know, that that the more chickens you do, the better off you'll be, or something like that. Uh, the you know it, it was all based on that, and it was cultural because that was the Roman religion. See, so it was what everybody did, and so if you're uh, yeah if you're living in England or as this country too, uh, the uh, yes you should uh, have a nice church wedding, beautiful. 
the uh, Protestant minister gets up and has that that quality of saying, talking for about 20 minutes or half an hour and saying nothing, absolutely nothing, a, a totally brainless, uh, you know, blank sheet. Uh, and uh, but you know the flowers are beautiful, music of course, everything wonderful, the dresses, everything beautiful, and then they go out and they they compliment the 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 pastor on his brainless sermon, and then they move on to to the reception. See, and probably you're not going to see them in there for until another wedding comes up. See, and then the the church makes some money on it, and and everybody's happy. That, that is ceremonial religion, <clears throat> and it's probably, it probably characterizes the Church of England. I mean, how many people really take the Church of England seriously as, as a, what you'd even call a Christian religion? I, I doubt if there's many that do. And it's, You certainly hear that about the, the established Protestant uh, sects in uh, other countries. Father Letoranto, who's from Finland, of course, talks about the Finnish Lutheran Church in, in those terms. It's, it's purely ceremonial. Uh, same thing for the, the other Scandinavian churches. And um, now that, of course, is the, the case for the post-Vatican II sect, that they have uh, uh, in many places simply turned into, uh, you know, ceremonial religion. Yeah, I mean, another example of that, um, uh, to segue into another topic, is uh, um, when uh, Father Eldraker was visiting um London, um, both himself and I, we were in Westminster Abbey and we managed to persuade the um, uh, the, the rector or the, the, the dean people there um, to let us into the um, chapel of, or, or to go to the tomb of um, St. Edward the Confessor, a great English Catholic. Are those the ones that wear that absurd costume running around that? Cathedral? Yeah, that they had like blue blue robes on, and this yeah, lady. Yeah, I always wondered who they were. <laughs> well, I think they manage it and shepherd tourists around, but um, we couldn't. We had to wait um, at the foot of the altar or, or the tomb of uh, Saint Edward the Confessor because there was a Protestant Church of England service going on. Um, there and I was thinking, I've got a real Catholic priest here who wants to say some real Catholic prayers in front of a real Catholic saint, but we have to wait for these Protestants to clear out. And I just—it's just absurd. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that over there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that that Saint Thomas More and Saint John Fisher should be in the private chapel of the Queen of England in the Tower doesn't make a lot of sense either, having been two papists who resisted the very king that, that she succeeds and were put to death for it. So that doesn't make much sense either. But apparently you can get a, an appointment to go in there, yeah. that's what he told me. So the next time I go to England, I'll try to get an appointment to go in and see. They're both together in there. But that makes no sense either. Here you come through the Tower of England, Tower of London, and you see the places and the inscriptions of the Jesuits that were put to death. <laughs> you, know, you know, in Latin and everything. Here they, you know, these things that are so real. Then, then you, you, know, you end up in the chapel, and, and in that chapel, which belongs to the Queen, according to the, the, the person that we asked, you know, that was standing there, uh, you know, that's the Queen's property, and uh, that, um, that there you have these two martyrs who say that 
the Queen is not the Church of England, the head of the Church in England, but rather the Pope is, and they lost their heads for it. Uh, and and then, uh, you know, he saw, and I saw all of these cathedrals in, in England, and there's all of these papists in them. Statues of papists and, and, and these bishops and that were medieval bishops and who professed uh, uh, the, the allegiance to Rome. Uh, and, you know, they are there as if nothing has happened, and, and nobody seems to care that this is a glaring contradiction, but... Uh, I'd love to ask one of those people if I could could buttonhole them. You know, how do you make sense of this? Uh, they, would, they would probably come up with some some uh, sort of wishy washy answer and uh, oh God, God is love and we're having an encounter <laughs> yeah. with Jesus and uh, that's that that will sum everything up. Right. You know. Um, so I, right. I'd like to move on there. Um, I'm. The next uh, topic is uh, something that Father Chicada sent me from, uh, and we, we spoke briefly before about the Nas- the NCR. So I, I was asking, what is the NCR? The, the National Catholic Reporter, and I believe it's a, uh, an American website. Yes. And uh, this is talking about um, annulments. And um, so I'll, I'll just briefly read the blurb. Um, so... Three high-profile changes um, that have occurred recently are the um, previous... uh, There's been um, an elimination of a requirement to review um, all the positive declarations of nullity, authorising bishops to be a sole judge and an abbreviated process where neither spouse contests the annulment, evidence of nullity is indisputable and a plea that, insofar as possible... Um, charge no fees now um when i i read some of that i'm i'm not a um a lawyer i've never really studied law um i've studied legislation which um is all um legal legal gobbledygook to me but um the the church law um is is very much like that and it's very you know insofar as possible and reading through the the new process it looks like pretty much that you know you're just going to say i want to be an old and they'll they'll grant that pretty much well the the uh, that was the first um first inclination the first set of changes after the second vatican council were in the united states were referred to as the the american annulment procedures and um there were, uh, according to these new procedures there are many many um, uh, tens of thousands of, of uh, marriages that were annulled through the uh, marriage tribunals of the different dioceses. Then um, it, eventually this became, uh, it seemed, a little bit too outrageous. They tightened up on uh, some of the norms, but then uh, Bergoglio uh, apparently about a year ago loosened the uh, norms and the procedures, uh, allowing for um, an expedited procedure, as it were, to get your marriage annulled. But the interesting thing is that um, the uh, the head of the Canon Law Society um, in uh, America, Father uh, Bruce Miller, uh, who is also in charge of annulments for the Diocese of Alexandria, said that uh, there's been an increase in new filings for annulments in uh, his diocese. That uh, whereas you had... uh, um, uh, 50, 51, 40 in earlier years. Uh, now uh, he had uh, 107 new filings 
in uh, 2016. And this, of course, is this word about uh, uh, Bergoglio and his, um, uh, his particular ideas on uh, divorce and remarriage, um, uh, you know, filter through uh, all of the, the, of the Catholic and the secular press. So, of course, you're going to get, um, uh, you're going to, uh, get uh, many, many more uh, annulments in the long run. On the other hand, I think part of the reason for the decline in annulments, some of the uh, observers uh, of uh, these statistics in the Catholic Church said, is that, um, you know, uh, fewer Catholics uh, are interested in getting married in the church. And so this, this particular question doesn't really come up at all. Uh, that uh, you get married, you get divorced pretty much as um, this, in the same way that uh, seculars would. So there's, there's um, uh, not that much of an uh, impact, obviously, none at all, on these people in the revised uh, annulment uh, procedures. And if they do decide to return to church, they can discern, uh, according to Bergoglio, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, do they, discernment. they can discern, you know, that that first marriage or the first two or three marriages were invalid, and then uh, they can uh, receive the sacraments, or become permanent deacons, or, or uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> And notice, too, uh, first of all, there's also a lot of living together, so there's no marriages anyway yeah. for a lot of cases. Uh, but um, notice the bishop in this case would be the sole judge. So that means you don't have a, an ecclesiastical court where the, where the facts are tried. Uh, so he's sole judge. You're sitting in his office, essentially. And you have both spouses who are n not contesting it. That is an absurd situation because w when people are going for an annulment, it means that the marriage is on the rocks. So that means there's an interest in both of them to terminate the marriage. So they're going to say anything that, that it takes in order to terminate the marriage. Secondly, the, the, what is required for uh, annulment now is so totally different from what was required before the council. There were very limited cases lack of consent, for example, which was very rare, you know, where somebody put so much pressure on you to marry that you, you were not free. And that required so much evidence as being true. Of course, you're going to come in and say on the witness stand, you know, I, I was scared to death coming down the aisle because they were going to murder me if I didn't say yes. Of course, you're going to say that. And, and the, other, the other spouse who wants to get out of it too because he's interested in somebody else or life is just miserable at home, he's going to say, well, sure, you know, we, we threatened her with, with you know, shooting her in the head. <laughs> and and, and the, the, uh, so in the past, you had to get witnesses in to corroborate, you know, objective witnesses to corroborate uh, something like that. And that's where a number of judges would sit and, and, and uh, you know, there would be somebody defending the bond and somebody, you know, who was uh, uh, just like a court uh, where there, there's uh, somebody uh, that's promoting the annulment, somebody not promoting the annulment. So, so it would test the facts. And uh, you had to come up with some, some real testimony before any kind of fact like that could be established legally. And that's why we will not give out annulments, even if we saw a case 
uh, where you would have you know, a probability of, of lack of consent, we cannot declare it. See, we might see something that would say, well, there's probably lack of consent here, but we are not ecclesiastical judges. Those facts need to be established. Just as a murder case or anything else, you have to have a legal declaration of the, of the fact, of the truth of the, the event or the fact. And so, you know, this coming in front of the bishop and saying, well, we both agree that it was invalid. I mean, that's just a joke. You know, it's, it's so stupid and contrary to all common law practice uh, that, that you can't even take it seriously. And of course, there's no fees. All you have to do is walk in front of the bishop and have a little discussion with him. And he'll, he'll write it out and give you a, you know, a piece of paper. You can go home and, and get married again. It's, it's just a joke. It's another, it's another word, uh, it's just a, uh, uh, the modern annulment procedures are simply another uh, word for divorce, for granting a divorce. And uh, frequently that is the way that the people who participate in uh, these procedures look upon them. That uh, annulment, divorce, it's all the same. The first question is, well, can you get me an annulment? Uh, and that is, is the, that idea has become uh, so popular as a result of the um, uh, institutionalization of these phony annulments in the Novus Ordo Church that that's the first thing that uh, uh, that people think about, and they equate it in their own minds with a divorce. Yes, it it really Bergoglio wants to create a religion uh, in which there's divorce and remarriage. And he's done this to the annulment process, effectively making it divorce and remarriage. And he's also done this discernment business where if you're really stuck and you're not willing to go through the annulment process, you can sit and hold hands and discuss whether you think that your previous marriages were invalid or not, or valid or not. And, and then, you know, if you come up with the right answer, you can go to Holy Communion. Which is effectively, you know, divorce, uh, uh, you know, in the practical order. Essentially, you are the judges of the previous marriages, and and so it, that's what he has created, and and they've done it very subtly. Uh, they, you know, they decide that the ideal, yes, is indissolubility of marriage, so they try to make that some sort of ethereal ideal. But then in the practical order, there's all of these, you know, problems that come up. And we can deal with them. We can have a church in which the divorce and remarried can be accepted, so either through annulment or through discernment. And the priest can do a discernment, you know, it doesn't mean any kind of tribunal or anything like that. Uh, this, this is what they have done. And and they're not kidding anybody. Uh, I mean, this is this is quite a treacherous ground um, for traditional Catholics, uh, or the uh, the ones who call themselves traditional Catholics, um, but attend unicum masses. Um, I mean, if it hasn't, this is purely speculation. But if it hasn't happened already, it may happen that um, you know you get. Um, I mean, the SSPX with their recent agreement um, with Rome on marriages, for instance. You may get the case of a uh, a couple who were married in the SSPX, then go well. We don't like each other anymore. Go and get their marriage annulled, and then quick as a flash, they're back in the SSPX with their latest partner, and um, they decide to get married again. Um, so effectively, they're um, divorced and remarried, 
And um, the SSPX will have to say, well, yeah. Cause that, that... Here comes the bride. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, they, 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 they really haven't thought that one out either. Uh, you know, among the many things that uh, the SSPX has not thought out. But, uh, you yeah, know, that if the annulment, you know, people down at, at um, the local SSPX installation down in uh, Walton, Kentucky, um, I mean, those people, if, if there are difficulties, they simply go to the uh, tribunal of uh, uh, the Diocese of Covington and uh, I guess, uh, you know, go through the drive-through lane at the Chancery and, and uh, get an annulment and that's it. <laughs> you're, uh, you're good. Like, like a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and it's even free now. You yeah. don't even have to pay for it. According to Mr. B, the, the, you know, you're not supposed to charge yeah. anything for it. So, but how could you charge for just a simple conversation with the bishop or some yeah. goon mm. of the bishop? I'm sure you've never seen it makes, the bishop. It but makes some, divorce really cheap, doesn't it? Whereas, whereas instead of going through this messy divorce where you have to half all your assets and round it all up and, you know, if you've got children, well, uh, you've got to provide her an income and all this sort of malarkey. I mean, I've, I, I've seen it um, several times in the past. Um, you know, men get basically pauperd by the divorce process, but you've got this free thing here. You can go go to the local Novus Ordo bishop. He'll give you a quick, you know, um, quick something at like McDonald's where there's a there's like a, a somebody standing there. Of course, you could actually pre-program what you want. You could, you know, that you yell in what, all that you want, and the, you come around. The people waiting in their cars. All all he does is po poke his head out and say, "Do you think that your original marriage was invalid?" Yes, I think it was. And then to the lady, "Do you think it?" Or who knows, maybe the man. Do you do you, do you think it was invalid? Yes, I think it was. And then that's it. You drive off, and uh, you know, instead of getting a hamburger, you get a certificate that you're you're free to marry. Yeah. It's it's actually you don't even have to pay it's actually quite a parody of marriage isn't it um you know you, there's two people stood in front of a member of the clergy saying yes they will take each other mm -hmm. whereas it's the opposite this time yes they'll be they don't want to be married anymore and then yes. quick as a flash they're unmarried yes well you know it means that the the yes that they gave at the marriage ceremony was all was all false and you know it was something wrong with it and and you know yeah. it didn't take <laughs> and so that's that they, they do they did yeah. They discerned that their yes wasn't really a yes. It was a yes or no. Or, yeah, you uh, know, they were, you or, know, were drunk or, they, you know, just didn't feel right about it or something like that. So it's absurd. It's all absurdity. Uh, everybody knows it's to transform the Catholic religion into uh, essentially Protestantism. Uh, it's, it was one of the big obstacles to ecumenism that we believe in indissolubility of marriage. No one will come into to, uh, the Novus Ordo religion uh, if you have to stay married to your spouse for your whole life. Right? So they, uh, they have to get rid of certain things in order to make this great amalgamated church. So um, we'll, we'll just we'll move on slightly from there. Um, so... Listeners, if you're still with us at this point, I'd say brace yourself for this bit, this next part. Batten down the hatches, hold on to something tight. So um, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, 
the Christ's vicar on earth, S- su- um, supposedly. supposedly. Um, so we, we always know, uh, you know, we our nickname for him is Chaos Frank. Um, but on June the 7th, uh, so this weekend just gone, he surprised the world with a new heresy. Um, so um, His Excellency's book will have to get bigger to just encompass this. I think this, this is uh, several chapters. So um, he basically said, and I'll, I'll read him, ad quotum, Dear brothers and sisters, we are never alone. We can be far hostile. Uh, we can even say we are without God. But Jesus Christ's gospel reveals to us that God cannot be without us. He will never be God without man. It is he who cannot be without us. And this is a great mystery. God cannot be God without man. This is a great mystery. And this certainly is the source of our hope, which we find kept in all our invocations that of our father, that we are in need of help. Jesus does not tell us to be resigned and to shut our in ourselves, but to turn to the Father and ask him with trust all our needs. The most evident and daily is food, health, work that to, of being forgiven and sustained, sustained in temptations are not the mirror of our solitude. Instead, there is the Father who always looks at us with love, who certainly does not abandon us. Um, and then in the next uh, verse, he also, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, we also think of the father, our father, who cannot be without us and who is looking at us at this moment. And altogether, with trust and hope, we pray our father who art in heaven. Um, wow. What? This is this. Well, this, is, this is like Godspray uh, again, yeah, isn't this... it? It's, it's Godspray coming back. It is. Well, it, it contains a heresy, and that is that it is necessary that God create. And that's a condemned heresy. Uh, that uh, that God could not uh, that He had some I- intrinsic necessity to make creation, uh, and and that's not true. God could do well without us. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, when you look at the human race, they, there's more failure in it than there is success. You know, uh, and but the the human race and any creature only adds accidentally to God's glory. He is uh, perfectly content and happy in himself, and had no necessity or or reason, uh, compelling reason, to create. The only reason for his create for creation was the manifestation of his glory. That's Vatican one. So we are creatures that are designed to manifest the glory of God. That's our purpose of, of existence. So, and again, this, so it's heresy, but it's also stupidity. I mean, the uh, God, when you define God and, and understand that he is, is perfectly happy by himself and he is infinite and, and incomprehensible and everything that the creeds say about him, you know, it's just ridiculous to say that he cannot live without a creature. It's just absurd. It'd be like saying, you know, you cannot live without a, a pet parakeet. You know, it, it, it's just it's just absurd. It, it's we exist for God's pleasure, and and you know, we he has no he owes us nothing. He could annihilate us without any injustice. He could annihilate the whole human race in a blink of an eye without any injustice to anybody. All right. 
and he could even annihilate the Blessed Virgin Mary and the sacred humanity of Christ without any injustice. So that, that's how dependent we are on God. And so he doesn't need man. My goodness, need man. I mean, the fact that he spares us from destruction is a, is a testimony of his, of his infinite mercy because we provoke him every day. And, and, you know, speaking humanly, we give him a lot of trouble. <laughs> Look at what he did at the flood. <laughs> this, this was one of those, those statements that, um, you know, I, th I, I was testing the second graders for First Communion, <laughs> and I thought that this is such a, this statement is so stupid that not even a confused <laughs> second grader would make it. But, uh, yes. you know, it's coming from someone who is uh, supposedly the uh, head of the Catholic Church on earth. It's so idiotic. Yes. Uh, the other thing that I read about it that is interesting is that apparently this idea is found in Jewish Kabbalistic literature and in the Talmud. Mm. And mm. that, that the, the, this idea of um, God needing man somehow. And I wonder if it's not possible that uh, somehow Bergoglio got this, this, this idea rattling around in his head because of uh, reading uh, works by his, his uh, uh, yeah, buddy, that uh, Argentine uh, rabbi Skorka, that something sort of stuck in his, his, his little pea brain, <laughs> and uh, he decided that this was, this was the time now to, uh, 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 to bring it out into the light. That wouldn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Yes, it, it, it's heretical and stupid. Yeah. That's the, you know, it, it's, it, anybody with a brain could figure out that that doesn't make any sense. He's God, he, and as God, he doesn't depend on anybody or anything. Yeah. Or it sounds also sort of Gnostic or something like that, you know, it's, it's, it's yes, yes, bizarre. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. he, yes. he's, he's got some sort of idea that um, God needs, I mean, he, he's talking in his homily about um, the, the Our Father prayer, and it's, it's almost as if he's saying God needs us to pray, um, or his warped version of saying, you know, um, God cannot be God because we don't pray to him. And, I mean, that is very atheistic, you know. I mean, is uh, well, the, the, the Pope of Surprises, eh? <laughs> well, it's as if uh, God is one of the Roman yeah. gods, like Jupiter or, or, or Minerva or one of those people that, that interacts and must necessarily interact with the human race and, and would not have their deity, except if the human race regarded them as deities. You know, it, 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 it is just so off the wall, it's the only word I could use for it, that it hardly needs description. Yeah, I, I agree, my lord. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you read it, it is, I remember your, I mean, I remember your sermon uh, last year when he said God spray, and I was, I was just, you know, like I'd been hit by a thunderbolt. I was like, my goodness, I, I really you hope... You should hear my sermon this year. <laughs> I just talked about it again on Sunday, this past Sunday. You should listen to it. It's on our website. I, I will have to... Uh, I'll, I'll consider that homework uh, for this show, my lord. 
<laughs> yes. But, my yes. goodness, it's just absolutely absurd. absurd. Um, so, my listeners, we'd like to remind you that you are listening to Francis Watch from member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Dan Fitton, and you are listening to His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, and Father Anthony Chicardo. And we were discussing the spiritual terrorist who is Jorge Bergoglio. So I'd, I'd like to I'd like to move on from that um, that bombshell and um, talk about more um, crazy bombshells. So with, without making too much of a pun of it. Um, so in the last I'd say since 2011, um, there's been a cascade or, um, as I described it, an avalanche of terrorist atrocities, mainly committed by Muslims or pretty much predominantly committed by Muslims in the name of their false religion. Um, the majority of incidents have occurred in Europe. However, there have been uh, a few in a few attacks in the United States. Um, 9-11, as I said before, is uh, most notably. But um, whilst I've got the two intellectual heavyweights, um, uh, Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada, um, I would... Uh, somebody has his thumb on the scale, let's put it that way. <laughs> <I> would, <laughs> Very good. I'd like, to, um, I'd like to discuss um, what is a traditional Catholic um, response to these acts and considering the, uh, the not to be uh, um, uh, you know detrimental to your age, my lord and father, but you have seen in the in the past fifty years this uh, terrorist, this, these Muslims get more and more brazen, shall we say, um, where they go bomb children in Manchester and um, you know take big knives and behead people. Um, so you you've mm-hmm. seen it get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So um, what is the traditional Catholic response to these type of acts? Well, it's a wrong religion. It's a false. It's the product of a false religion, and that uh, is basically the beginning and the end of it. What do you expect? I mean, if if you have a, a religion that does not come from God, that is hostile to the one uh, true religion. That's the uh, explanation for uh, all of the evil that, uh, that flows from it. And because the secular West uh, will not acknowledge that fact, wishes to be blind to that fact, uh, that's why it's, it's uh, uh, going under. And that's why in Europe, for instance, it is in the process of uh, losing the battle against the uh, followers of Mohammed. Those uh, Mohammedans would not be in Europe if Europe had not defected from the Catholic faith because they would have been kept out because the Catholic faith teaches that it uh, alone is the one true faith and therefore would not want to see within its own lands anyone who does not profess the Catholic faith. They would have kept out the Mohammedans. It's interesting that the Mohammedans consider their religion to be the one true faith and that all other religions are false and they are the ones, and and conversely, uh, that Europe, which should be Catholic, has turned into a, a liberal Europe, that is, it doesn't matter what religion you belong to, and on that title, these 
uh, knife-wielding and bomb-wielding Muslims come in and decide because our religion is the right one, we have uh, the right to murder people according to uh, what is said in the Quran. Uh, we have the right to, wherever Muhammad said, wherever you can find them, kill them wherever you can find them. So they resent the intervention of Western governments uh, in uh, their lands, and they are fighting back in, in the only way that they know, and that is not by a pitched battle, an honorable pitched battle, but by attacking innocent people, because that's what is told to them in the Quran. Uh, and so uh, the... But it really goes back to 1948, and it goes back to yet further into World War I and the Peace of Versailles, and that is the cutting up of that area into spheres of influence by England and France, uh, whereby the, the West was imposing itself on those areas that had been perfectly Muslim and at peace with, with, with I mean, they all hated together the Turks. All of those tribes and peoples detested the Turks, but because they were all together on that, they managed to get along, more or less. You see, they, they were Shiites, and some were Shiites, some were the other type, uh, Sunnis, but they all hated the Turks. So the, the Europeans were not there, really. Uh, and, but with World War I, of course, the British and the French took that whole area, and started to invade their ways and, and make their presence known. And then what, what really put the icing on the cake was 1948, and that is pushing the Palestinians off of their lands and, and putting the Jews there, uh, and putting Palestinians into concentration camps uh, at the, at the uh, end of a barrel of a gun. Uh, and um, and then to top that off, you know, you had the 1967 war, which which we're commemorating, I think, this year or even right now. Uh, then what really irritated them was the 1991 Gulf War, where the United States established itself in that region with what they would call Gentiles, in other words, non-Mohammedans. Uh, in their sacred lands, especially Saudi Arabia. That's what enraged uh, Osama bin Laden, is that these, these heathens were in this, the holy land of the Muslims with their, their bases and their pornography and everything else, and, and the, uh, that uh, they didn't want us there. We have invaded their lands, and they don't want us there. If we were to just say, all right, we're, we're not going to be involved anymore in those places. We're just pulling out completely, and whatever you do, you do. Uh, I think they would pull away from us. I don't think they hate us for any other reason than that we're in their faces. And, and I think if we were to get out of their lands and leave them to, the, to their own, to themselves, I, I really don't think that they would have any re, uh, spirit of revenge upon Europe or the United States. That's my f feeling about it. Uh, but it, it goes back to the West getting involved in those places uh, where they still hold the, to the fact that their religion is the one true religion and they have it established in those places. They, they have an established religion and they always had an established religion. Uh, the Christians, even say in the 8th century, had to pay a tax uh, to the Mohammedans just for being Christian. They had to, uh, they could remain Christians, but they had to pay a tax. Um, 
but the I think the rage that is in them is because we have put ourselves in their faces and we have altered their whole region by our interventions in Iraq, by Israel, by all of the other ways in which we're present there. And uh, so I think it's just going to continue I, I, and until either Europe becomes smart and says, we have to keep these people out, and until they uh, put under uh, or, or deport people who are even under significant suspicion of being terrorists. I mean, you, you find out when you read the, the newspaper reports, well, all of these people were under surveillance. I mean, these people that come yeah. in and stab yeah. and kill and blow up, well, they were under surveillance by the police. Well, why didn't you arrest them and, and, and put them in some sort of detention if they are even under suspicion of that, serious and, and founded suspicion of that? Uh, the, I mean, you have to protect your, your populace, your people. And if these people are assassins, which is, by the way, a Muslim word, that's a, an Arabic word, assassin, that means somebody who stands behind the curtain and stabs. It has something to do with curtains. Uh, the, uh, these people are assassins. Well, they have to be treated in an entirely different way from your average criminal. I see. Uh, so uh, th those are my reflections on it, that, that the, the Europeans are handling it all wrong. They're too soft. Uh, they're too liberal. They, they love their liberalism more than their own people. Uh, and these are the people running the country. They're in neighborhoods where you would never see a Muslim. And if a Muslim walked by their front door, they would probably call the police. I mean, they are living in uh, Belgravia and, you know, where, where you see the only Muslim you might see is some sort of super rich sheik from Arabia yeah. <laughs> who has a Rolls Royce. And, uh, you know, that's, that's Islam for them, you know, who is obviously is not going to blow up the building. And so these are the people running the country who are totally immune from any of this sort of thing and, and never get hurt by it. And they love their liberalism more than they love their own populace and their, their own people. And, and uh, that for as long as that's true, you're going to see these horrible interventions of, of uh, Muslim terrorists. It's an uh, excellent uh perspective, historical perspective of uh, what the source of the problem is. You know, all of the uh, offenses uh, against these different peoples by the um, ruling class of the West, you know, the, the uh, imperialists of the West divvying everything up to their own, um, uh, to their own benefit. And if we look at all of the um, trouble that uh, that has caused in uh, countless regions throughout the world, uh, it's really shocking. It's uh, really appalling because one has the tendency all the time as you think that, well, necessarily, uh, if the West does it, it's uh, uh, that there is some sort of a, uh, perhaps some sort of a higher motive uh, for it. But uh, all of the, the uh, national and, and, and uh, a political dip divvying up of the map in the Middle East was all to the, uh, the benefit of the, the British and, uh, and of the French, and uh, to a certain extent the United States as well. And so we're, uh, we have, um, uh, you know, reaped the whirlwind as well. And too, it's a, that's, that's the case in Africa. 
The United States Army told Truman, have nothing to do with the establishment of Israel. Have nothing to do with it. It's just going to cause trouble. It will be endless trouble. But, the, but Truman went ahead and supported it. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, did you know that the British in, I think, 1920 or 1921 dropped poison gas on the villages of the Iraqis to put down a rebellion? I don't know if you know that. They use their planes no, to drop poison I gas. I didn't know that. I thought that was, <laughs> that, that was yes. Uh, and uh, I saw that on a British video, actually. And, uh, and uh, I thought it's it curious that we went to war because supposedly Saddam Hussein had poison gas and when the British were using it actually back in 1920 uh, against the Iraqis themselves. Uh, so, I mean, it's been just trouble ever since the Europeans and the Americans got involved in that area. And, and you know, why I don't uh, condone obviously what they do, and, uh, but you can understand their irritation. Imagine if it were the reverse, and really it's becoming the reverse now. They are in our faces, uh, especially in Europe, but, but here too. We have a bigger land and uh, you know, more places to put them, but you know, there are some areas where, especially in Detroit area, where they get up uh, in these minarets and, and sing out that Allah is the only true God, and they, they you know, with their trumpets or whatever they do, their horns. And these are in neighborhoods that were once Polish or, or just ordinary neighborhoods. Uh, that's, uh, so they're, they're, they are doing to us what we did to them. And you can understand their irritation. Mm. I, I do. It's, it's like uh, what Father said just then. We, we've reaped what we've sown and uh, we, we're tasting the, uh, the wheat and all is not good. Yes. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's two sort of uh, points that I, I want to talk about. I think the, the first one is the uh, so the modern reaction to this kind of um, uh, this 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 kind of an attack. So, for instance, the the Manchester bombing, um, or I mean, we could even go as far back as Paris. Now, um, I found a quite um, an, an interesting. Um, there's a. Um, a Facebook article I saw the other day, which was the emergency response plan to terrorism. Step one, put a tearful cartoon up, i.e. a heart or something, etc. Change your Facebook flag to the country of that was attacked. Three, cry. Four, light up your local building or monument with the colour of the country that was attacked. Wait seven days, hold a minute silence, <laughs> rinse and repeat. And... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I am, I am being satirical here. It, it is a very serious thing, but when when you see the reaction of people, these these drones of people repeatedly doing that, and uh, it, it's just absurd. You know, why why aren't we fighting back? Why aren't we saying get out of our country? You know, and then as you said, my lord, um, you know, they were known. It always comes out within like um, you know four or five days after the attack, uh, maybe sooner if the police had. Uh, uh, quite efficient. Um, it was, oh, they were known to terror the police services. And yes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, Why it's didn't you absolutely insane. But, but because, we, we it's, stand it's because of liberalism, you see, liberalism and democracy tend to be soft. You see, you know, we can't do anything. We don't oh, want to, yeah. to disturb the liberal principle so yeah. that you can be a Muslim and we're not going to disturb you. See, so we don't want to give that impression. Yeah. Uh, the, prince, uh, the Prince of Wales <laughs> said a number of years ago that 
uh, when he becomes oh. king, he wants to be the, uh, what is it, Defen not the defensor fidei, the defensor of the faith, but the defensor of the faiths. Yes, which in Latin would never go because there's only a singular in Latin. Uh, the Romans were smart enough to figure out that there's only one. But the, the so you couldn't even do it on the coinage. The, the, so uh, without a mistake in Latin, but, uh, the, but that's what, that, that's, I'm pointing that out as simply typical of the liberal, very radically liberal attitudes of Europe that ha have, uh, excuse me, that have... Well, you, you, you can't, it gets to the point where you're, you're not even permitted to speak the, the truth about it. Now, Father Letteranta, um, naturally being a Finn, follows news in Finland, and uh, the recent, uh, recently the uh, uh, Finnish party, one of the, the little more right-wing Finnish parties that, that uh, has taken, started to take a stand against the crazy immigration, uh, elected a, a new party head who will probably, I guess, become uh, the prime minister or the, the, the um, president of Finland. And this fellow was actually convicted of uh, a hate crime under uh, liberal Finnish law because he made the statement saying, uh, while not all Muslims are terrorists, all terrorists are Muslims. And so simply on the basis mm -hmm. of that, he was uh, convicted of a hate crime. Something that's a statement of truth. Yeah, it, it is radical liberalism yes. that has turned into a state religion. That's what it is. And, and yeah, it's yeah. a hate crime. That means it's heresy in the state religion of liberalism and pluralism. So I think you're in for more of it over there. I mean, at least Trump is trying to do something over here. But I think that you're in for more of it because there's really nothing to stop it. Didn't Macron say uh, terrorism is just a part of life now? I think he said something to that effect. You know, we're just going to have to bear up with it. Well, that's very nice when you're eating at the Elysee Palace, you know, surrounded by guards. But what about, you know, people in an ordinary restaurant in Paris uh, when they come in and start shooting everybody? You know, do we just have to bear up with it? You know, it's just it's just uh, unbearable. I mean, make it. Uh, you know, the the things that Trump's saying and doing recently, I, I'm I'm more inclined to. You know, maybe in the future, emigrate to America um, if I can get in. But um, we'll keep you be, out because we'll you know it just I'm seems. Sure you don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't let riffraff yeah, in your. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, because. You know, it, it makes it will make you and the, the the United States more secure by keeping these types of people out. I mean, for instance, the, the mayor of London is a Muslim. And in all the interviews I've seen with him, he looks about as, uh, you know, he, he looks hardly sympathetic at all. And uh, it's, it's almost, you know, there's some occasions where he almost has a smirk on his face. Now, I mean, I, I don't want to besmirch him too much, but... You know, you have the the city that was attacked. The mayor's a Muslim, and he does next to nothing to um, try and stamp out the terrorist activities in his own city. Which, and he says it's still safe, and it's blatantly not. You saw the exchange between him and oh Trump, yeah, well right? that that was that was what I was referring to. Um, <laughs> and that's quite funny. Just just, just coming back to um, obviously the, the 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 titular character of our show. 
Um, so we're just going to just rewind that. Um, we're talking about Iraq and um, the the gassing of the Kurds that caused the Iraq War, and um, you know that's, that's where some of our modern um, issues have come from. But I mean, that's also happening in Syria, or would you believe it's happening in Syria? Who knows? Um, so the the the, me- the media or the the media or culture has um, that this is referring to the uh, Trump. Uh, bomb, the the big bomb that he dropped on uh, ISIS. Um, so obviously Trump's got this mandate that he wants to eradicate ISIS. Um, and so in the uh, so effectively uh, Trump dropped the the huge bomb on uh, the IS and uh, Bergoglio um, made some comments and he talked about a culture of destruction spreading throughout the world um, well he doesn't actually name the culture he just he just says a culture of destruction but we all know it's Islam and um, his quote was you know the world is at war a bomb falls here in a hospital on a school there are sick people children um, it doesn't matter, they bomb. And I think that's a direct slur on Trump. And Francis says he is ashamed of the name of the bomb because it was known as the, bro- the quote, mother of all bombs. So, um, and I mean, I'm sure we can come up with many examples of um, Bergoglio's Muslim loving. Um, but the fact that he, he he decides to attack a leader who's doing something about this epidemic goes to show that he is, uh, you know, with the liberal elite, that, um, you know, we must smile and nod and uh, stand together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, first of all, there is always, there are always atrocities in every war and there are always mistakes in every war, right? So thing, people, uh, the Americans, uh, everybody sometimes bombs their own people. The, the British uh, torpedoed their own ship when they were trying to uh, get the Bismarck, for example, they, the, because it was foggy or something, the planes went out and they thought, well, this must be the Bismarck. In fact, it was a British destroyer. And so they, <laughs> they sent these torpedoes after the British destroyer. Uh, it happens. Things happen in, in war. And uh, the question is whether the war is justified. And you do the, the best that you can not to either attack your own people or attack civilians, innocent civilians. Uh, and you know sometimes civilians are not so innocent either. Um, the uh, sometimes they pick up arms against those against their attackers, and then they become legitimate targets. You know, so I'm just giving general principles. I'm not speaking about any specific act in these wars. But the you know if there's a war, there are going to be mistakes and there are going to be atrocities. People are enraged. They're going to do things that are wrong, but that does not affect the moral. Uh, uh, integrity of the war one way or the other. And for him to say, well, you know, to point out these, these, these really exceptions is again a, a stupidity. Well, of course it's a war. What do you expect? And the mother of all bombs, I mean, why? Is that some sort of sacrilege to call it the mother of all bombs? First of all, as if a bomb is, is bad. A bomb is good if you use it correctly. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you use it to bomb a, an evil enemy, it, it's a wonderful thing. And, and that's exactly what he did. He, he used it on, on an ISIS uh, series of caves. I mean, the Americans in, in World War II used uh, flamethrowers against the Japanese on those islands in the Pacific. They would just light them all up inside, which is not really very nice, you know, but this, this is war. 
And and so you know again he he's commenting in a really stupid way you know as, as if you know, war in itself is wrong, which he maintains it is, doesn't he now? So, well, he did that for capital punishment. Does he? That's, I don't that's know. evil now, and uh, that 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 was good yes, once, and that's yes. uh, evil now because of discernment and times having changed, and then his stupid ideas on slavery. Yes. So, yes. But he also yes, missed the the, yes. the uh, illusion. Yeah. Um, the mother of all bombs was a uh, uh, actually was a um, satirical use, I think, of the phrase that uh, Saddam Hussein used. He said that well, when the Americans invade, uh, it will be the mother of all battles. And so it was yeah, it was seen as sort yes, of I a that. Uh, you know Hussein's. <laughs> A sort of crazy boastfulness, and and probably that's where the uh, that's where the term uh, came from for something like this. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I think we'll uh, we've uh, conclude. Um, so uh, the the words you heard um, His Excellency say earlier on are, um, are echoed by an actual Muslim um, who. So it, this was on Pentecost Sunday, um, so a few hours after the uh, London Bridge attacks, um, an Egyptian called Wail Farouk um, described um, exactly the reason why this is happening, um, you know, the pluralism of Western societies um, and the, the integration and uh, um, effectively, I mean, His Excellency put it better, but if a Muslim says what, a pope cannot. There's something seriously wrong there, and I think I'll end that topic on that bombshell. <laughs> not to, not to drop a pun in. <laughs> um, so that was the mother so of all while, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was waiting for a Father Chicada comment. I know. There, I think I, Father Chicada is is sort of a uh, you know on. on I don't know. Did you take a pill or something before well, you? Well, the weather uh, is kind of down here today. You know what? What can I say? <laughs> yeah, well, we we are talking about your favorite uh, favorite terrorist. Yeah. Yes, that's um, right. The spirit spiritual the terrorist. bomb thrower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so while we um, while we um, on this show we we generally discuss Francis, you know, Francis Watch. We, we talk about all his latest heresies. Um, we do occasionally uh, feed in some of his, uh, his uh, uh, you know, his lackeys. Um, so I think I want to just d devote a couple of minutes talking about um, Bergie's cronies, as I've, I've dubbed it. Um, so um, we, we often lose sight of, you know, Bergoglio drops his major heresies such as... Um, you know, God uh, cannot be God without man, and um, you know we, we do lose sight of some of the um, the moves and shakers in the background and uh, um, reptiles, as my mother-in-law would call them, who surround the false pope. And um, I just want to spend a bit of time examining a few of Bergie's cronies. Now, I think we'll probably only have chance for a couple, and um, we'll, we'll try and get some. I mean. This is bearing in mind, listeners, that um, the future of the Novus Ordo Church is in these people, these cronies or these lackeys, um, or the, they're the ones behind Bergoglio. So if you know, if you think Bergoglio's 
bad. There could be some worse ones. So um, the first one I want to talk about is Cardinal Mueller, who is the head of the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And I, I believe, uh, Father, you mentioned in our last show that the CDF have been silent lately. Well, no longer. Um, Mueller uh, recently put out an interview um, with the um, Portugal's online journal Observador. And um, without, uh, without reading it too much, he um, basically said um, in the, co- the context of the conversation was Jesus did not want to go to the cross um and we can say that you know so the the head of the congregation says jesus did not want to go to the cross okay so i mean you know we, we've seen some pretty major heresies from bergoglio but there are you know the bergoglio's goons as we call them <laughs> in the background well, well, who wants to begin on this one uh, go they? ahead your excellency you're <laughs> a rip away well it's to begin with, if you read the Holy Gospel, let's start with the Holy Gospel, our Lord is constantly referring to his hour. And if you read all of the commentaries on the Holy Gospel, and especially St. Louis de Montfort in The Love of the Eternal Wisdom, the the cross was his, his it was the whole mission was to die in the cross. Just like the, he was to, to fulfill what was symbolized in the sacrifice of Isaac, which was replaced by the sacrifice of an animal. But the, this, I mean, that is the whole Old Testament, and he is the fulfillment of the New Testament by this release of sin through his payment on the cross. To say that he did not want to do that, it is, uh, yeah, and also as Gary Lagrange points out, the great theologian, the, the value of the cross is principally in his act of obedience to his father, which he did, of course, freely and with joy, uh, more than it was the, by payment through pain. Was the, the act of obedience of the new Adam made up for the act of disobedience of the old Adam. And that's precisely why it's such a pleasing sacrifice is that he did that so willingly. And that's precisely why in the agony of the garden, he, he expressed his fear that if this could pass away from me, please let it happen, essentially. But that, then he said, not my will, but thine be done. And, and so, therefore, it was sort of the offertory of his mass. In other words, that he, there he was offering himself as the victim willingly. Uh, but he just wanted to show in that certain reluctance that he had that he was human and he wanted to show us uh, how to deal with the, the fears that we might have in professing the faith and receiving uh, uh, you know, various negative effects of professing the faith. So the, uh, it just, it, it, it's so totally contrary to everything that was ever said about the the crucifixion and our Lord's love of the cross, <laughs> that it, again it it's just startling that anybody could say that without fearing to be called stupid. It was still less someone who's supposedly the head of the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. <laughs> it was, right. was supposedly the the great watchdog of of uh, orthodoxy uh, for yes. the for the whole operation. But it, it, he, it's as if he missed the whole point of the redemption. You know, what's, yes. you know, what, what is he doing in that position? That. 
I mean, yes. Oh, Kruksave Spezunica. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's, yes, that's right. The, yeah, the yeah. whole church, I mean, it's just so contrary to everything. It's contrary to Catholic spirituality, the embracing of the cross, cross and the, you know, mortification and everything. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so basic. I mean, you'd have to blow up the whole religion if that were true, if he did that, with, you know, against his will, essentially. Ah. Well, the uh, other thing. Uh, the, uh, that's interesting about this to me is the form. Now we, we talked about um, uh, the, uh, the last time about the CDF basically, and Cardinal Muller basically having nothing to do. Well, you notice that he did this not in a document, but in some sort of an interview. In other words, there's still the, the, the way the Bergoglio uh, Vatican operates, that they're not really interested in the doctrine or as they would say of the ideology of the faith, the documents aren't being uh, issued on, on this question and that question. But uh, rather the mm -hmm. head of the CDF is uh, going around, he's got time on his hands, and so he's giving um, interviews in which he, in effect, denies the effects of the redemption. Yes. Yes, it's, it's, it's stunning yes. that that such a statement could be made by somebody who is obviously intelligent and who has done a lot of reading. At least you could say that yeah. about him. But it's stunning, you know. It's it's. Mm. I, I mean, wasn't it Ratzinger in a similar type of on uh, interview forum denied the resurrection? Well, they had a. They, he said that they had a resurrection experience. The the apostles. Well, well, he's a phenomenologist. You see, if if you have that experience, that's it. That's what counts. You see, you've had a resurrection experience, and and uh, yeah, it's in his book. It's it was in that uh, one of his books. Introduction that, uh, to Christianity. That the, yeah. No, it was in the one of his uh, last books, like Life of Jesus, uh. I think, and uh, that he so, talked so, about so, all of that stuff about yeah. having a resurrection experience. <laughs> yeah. So you're certain that they had some experience, saying certain. So that's what counts for them. That's what counts, not whether he actually rose from the dead. They don't even get into that. You see, everything is interior and in how you feel about it. So you can't look at it with the eyes of common sense. You have to look at it with the sick and imbecilic eyes of these people who, who make up this stuff. Um, so I mean, we've got on our uh, our we need to we need to get wanted posters or some sign of you know like the, the old wild west uh, you know wanted dead or alive type posters of these these get the mug shots up so um i mean i'd, I'd like to uh, highlight these next three in the same sort of bucket and um, so cardinal burke uh, cardinal uh, Cafera and bishop athanasius snyder now these guys are um, classed by trads as brackets hero or quotation hero um heroes but i don't really think they don't really do much they they sent a, a, a dubia in and nothing really happened um burke's been fired so many times from several different jobs it, you know <laughs> how can he be a hero so you know the, these guys are supposed to be the bastion of orthodoxy or what what is left of it in the uh, Novus Ordo church and they just don't do anything no, they just faded away, and yeah. uh, their their dubia were never responded to, and and so uh, that was that, and 
and life goes on and Virgolio is unchained and uh, they are have been uh, muzzled. I like that, Bergoglio Unchained. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the title of a movie or something. Yeah. I, th I think we... I think that we we predicted as much, though, at some point, if you yes. know, that the uh, dubia would be ignored uh, because Bergoglio isn't particularly interested in that sort of thing, and um, uh, the, he's in, an, uh, in fact in an untouchable position, uh, and there's he only has to lose by by saying anything by continuing the controversy, so he uh, ignores it. And then, uh, but then he sort of snipes at them. Nevertheless, I think uh, um, uh, Burke was in, in in Rome giving a speech at some point, uh, not too long ago, uh, uh, about uh, maybe a month or so ago, and uh, you know on some some doctrinal topic. And uh, Bergoglio in his his uh, uh, homily at the uh, uh, Santa Marta. Uh, Daily Novus Ordo, uh, you know, took a, a couple of shots at him. You, you could uh, tell, you know, he was talking about ideology and, and rigidity, etc., and, um, and negative attitudes, etc. How this never does anything, uh, really, in the the uh, to build up, you know, encounters with Jesus, etc. It was obviously aimed at Burke. Mm -hmm. And one goon of Bergoglio said that these four cardinals think that they are the uh, the only four cherries on the cherry tree. Yeah, I, th I think that was the top banana who said that. I think that was Mardiaga, who is Bergoglio's right-hand man, and obviously he's his, his spokesman. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. And, and, and who he, place a great deal of confidence. So. But don't forget these these people, these Burke and Company uh, people, uh, they are all infected with Vatican II. So they cannot really react in a Catholic manner because Vatican II destroys your Catholicism. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily the heretics or anything like that. I'm just saying that it destroys your, your Catholic outlook. It, it, it infects you with subjectivism and ecumenism and, and uh, historicism, all of these things that, that just destroy uh, Catholic faith in you. You know, they, they are at least affected by those things. And so, uh, you know, a correction isn't going to do any good. What needs to be corrected is Vatican II. And the way you correct Vatican II is you tear it up and throw it in the garbage. You know, or you burn it in St. Peter's Square. That's that's what we're, we need to see. Not you know some correction of one of umpteen things that that Bergoglio has said that is a heresy. Why pick on those things? What about all of the other? There's no such thing as a Catholic God. Why not pick on that? Uh, yeah, one after the other. Why not go to Vatican II? But to to say, well, we're going to you know go after this. It really makes no sense. I mean, this this thing's much more serious than that, actually. Uh, and so you know, it's it's half-hearted. Not even half-hearted. The whole thing is absurd. You have to dump Vatican II. Dump Vatican II. There will be no hope for anything in the Catholic Church until Vatican II is dumped. Period. <laughs> oh, that's, the, that's, that's His Excellency's last word, period. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I'm always accused of beating around the bush and never making my mind clear, so I wanted to be extra clear about that. 
Uh, we are duly out of <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> so uh, I think I'll, I'll skip over the. Um, so there's there's a couple more we have, but I, I will save them for later. I think listeners give you a treat later on down the line. But the last guy I want to talk talk about is um, Father Arturo Souza, um, who is the um, leader of the Jesuits, and in an interview with a Spanish newspaper, um, El Mundo, um, he gave the, the following quote. Um, Christians believe that we're made in the image and likeness of God and God is free, but he always chooses to do good because he is all goodness. We have formed symbolic figures such as the devil to express evil. Social conditioning can also represent this figure since there are people who act in an evil way because they are in an environment where it is difficult to act the contrary. So you can see, and, and this is a, a reminder, listeners, that um, the head of the Roman Catholic Church or pseudo-Roman Catholic Church on earth is a Jesuit. So you can see where he got his training from, quite simply. Well, it's modernist. Uh, to say that the devil does not exist and that it's merely a, a symbolic figure is a heresy. It's, it's heretical. Well, uh, but Bergoglio says God doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, so, you know... The devil is small potatoes, then, in comparison to that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but that was uh, what Sosa said. Mm -hmm. It was a, a commonplace in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard that many times. You know, the idea that the, the devil, that's a symbolic construct. Nothing more. It's not uh, uh, personal, not a fallen angel, whatever an angel may be. Uh, so uh, that is the... Uh, uh, that's the theology that Bergoglio would have imbibed, and uh, that's the common theology in um, uh, modernist circles when it comes to the existence yeah, of the And devil. then he, he gives absolution, essentially, to murderers and thieves by saying, well, they were in an environment where it's difficult to act to the contrary. That effectively denies a, uh, denies a bunch of things. Uh, free will, as if your social environment is responsible mm -hmm. for the formation of your will, and that is that you uh, you are practically a robot of your social environment. It also denies actual grace. If you sin, you sin through your own fault. And it's because you, and anybody who does, even even somebody who has never known Christianity, if you sin, you sin through your own fault. Uh, and uh, the you know so that that is uh, essentially denial of free will. <laughs> I mean, what I found most interesting in this is what well, was it to you earlier on, uh, Father? Was uh, um, the um, similar in a similar way to Bergoglio, um, there, there was a spokesman for the Jesuit actually says, "Well, well, we he didn't actually mean that," and um, the spokesman clarified um, that Father. Arturo Souza believes and teaches what the Catholic Church believes and teaches. He does not hold another set of beliefs apart from what is contained in the doctrine of the Catholic Church. So apparently the doctrine of the Catholic Church is that the devil doesn't exist. That, that was my reading from that. No, that, that was damage control. What's known <laughs> as damage control, you know. Like when the <laughs> torpedo hits the side, you know, you have to patch it up. And, and uh, so uh, I think that's probably what that was, that they could see, uh, you know, a negative fallout from that. 
Yes. And all they have to do is say, well, he, he's perfectly orthodox, and everyone bobs their heads, yes, yeah, he's perfectly orthodox. Yeah. And then life goes on. So washes away all the, uh, all the insanity. Yes. Yes. It's like hermeneutic of continuity. Nobody can point it out. No one can explain it, but it's there. It's a unicorn in the forest that nobody has seen. Oh, oh well, well, uh, I, I think we've reached the the end of another another show. I mean, this this time we've talked about annulments, terrorism, Bergoglio, more Bergoglio. Um, so I'd like to talk about nice things, and as we always uh, do. Um, so, uh, my lord, uh, so um, do you have any recent plans, and uh, how how's life in the uh, seminary? at the moment the same old boring place that it has always been is you know they're going to have exams soon which are talk about terrorism i mean that that's that's our <laughs> form of terrorizing our students and, and uh uh we have uh, at least five new ones for next year uh and uh so uh, again we'll have a full house um, you know, I'm trying to think. There's really nothing much. Uh, we have a diaconate ordination coming up of a French seminarian. And um, uh, I don't know. I have no travel plans this summer. I am hoping that mm. that will stay the way it is, but I fear <laughs> that it's going to change because I lost my motive to go to England and I lost my motive to go to France. And I, I love to go to England and I love to go to France, but sometimes I just like to sit at home. And and <laughs> I've been traveling a lot this year, a lot. And, and so I think, oh, not another airplane ride, please, not another one. And uh, so, um, uh, so you know, but I might end up in Europe. They're asking me to come to Budapest. So, but that really depends on France and England. So, you know, but it has to either... Does I have to go someplace else? I wouldn't just fly to Budapest. So hopefully I can stay home this whole summer. I hope so. But the travel will start again. I, I really, uh, once we put Father Eldrocker in Australia, we do not want to leave him there, there to simply you know, be alone all the time. So we'll go out and see him. Uh, so I probably will go out <laughs> to Australia, maybe toward the um, end of the year as I did last year. But I won't stay as long, probably for just a few days. That's a long trip, but I'm thinking of breaking it up in Honolulu. Not that I have any desire at all to go to that place. Uh, but my only care about it is that there's a hotel that I can drag myself to <laughs> after the eight-hour flight from Atlanta. Uh, and and to face the uh, you know to sleep a little to face the nine hour flight uh, the next morning to Melbourne, so. <laughs> so so your excellency, surfing has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hanging ten on on uh, Wikawachi Beach or something like well, that. Well, just as long as you don't <laughs> tell anybody, you know. This, uh, this <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Uh, well, it, uh, I, I'm uh, quite amazed all the time at His Excellency's enthusiasm for travel and to Australia. So for so someone like myself who's turned into a stay-at-home body, that's that's uh, quite, uh, <laughs> quite, quite impressive. The the, the thought of a, a trip to uh, a trip to Australia. I think the only thing I'm going to manage this summer 
is a trip to the far less exotic Milwaukee. Mm. One trip. And now there's uh, a beauty of a place. That, <laughs> oh, there really is. And <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't tried the I haven't tried the surfing there no. yet. But <laughs> I don't think that there's too much on Lake Michigan. But that's my ancestral uh, yes, yes, uh, yes. hometown. So I will be going there. We still haven't finished our liturgical season, as it were, at St. Gertrude's. Uh, we had, um, oh, the Sunday before last, we had, uh, well, we had the Pentecost vigil and um, with confirmations. Then we had uh, First Communions on Pentecost Sunday itself. And uh, the um, uh, ceremonies went spectacularly and the choir did an excellent, excellent job. Uh, we had uh, uh, graduation, eight graduates this past uh uh, Sunday, Trinity Sunday, and then we uh, wind up things uh, on this coming Sunday with the solemnity, the external solemnity of Corpus Christi, and we have the first communicants, etc., in a procession, and that will be the um, sort of the, the the close of our choir season, or our um, uh, until uh, probably September. So that's what's happening on uh, that particular front. I have been. Uh, then you're having that YAG in yes, July. Yes, indeed. Right? And then, now, for those of you who are not aware, the YAG is short for the Young Adults Get Together. And this was something that we actually did, I think, 30 years ago or something like that. And it ended up being really popular and resulted in a lot of good um, social connections and uh, indeed even in some marriages. So we decided to start this up. The um, uh, site, now it's for 18 to 35, uh, a single young adults, you have to be a sede vacantist to come. Uh, and all of that, those little terms, of course, are explained on the YAG site, which is uh, YAG in Cincy. That's Y-A-G-N-C-I-N-C-Y dot WordPress dot com. And uh, if you um, uh, search for that on the internet, you should have no difficulty in finding it. Uh, Also, we of course have our uh, creative ways of advertising these uh, different (laughs) get-togethers. And so we have uh, put put together a series of wonderful tweets and... um, Facebook posts uh, featuring um, everybody's favorite mascot, Chaos Frank Bergoglio, and he is our official publicity guy for promoting the Young State of Accountants gathering. So if you go to the YAG in Cincinnati site, you'll see a uh, you'll see a slideshow of the different things that he's he's done to uh, promote our wonderful apostolate here. So we're hoping that'll be a, a big success. <laughs> now, you forgot to mention one thing, and that is if you've been married before, you have to bring your annulment papers. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> I, I believe but there's a process for that. We can do discernment before the campfire, I think. <laughs> yes, you can do discernments, yeah. yes. Have a little booth or something in which discernments uh, are taking place, and, and then you get a you know, stamped you know, document that you've done a discernment. Yeah, and then you get to roast so. a kosher frank. As we say, so <laughs> which many of us would like to do, uh, but uh, so that's that's our project for the uh, that's our project for the summer. Also, uh, I have the the vague idea of uh, uh, doing something I've wanted to do for quite a while, 
uh, as soon as I can settle down the technical uh, aspects of it, is to uh, do an audiobook of work of human hands. I've had a number of uh, requests for that. And I think it would end up being very popular because you know, people drive an awful lot. And uh, I think there would be a good audience for listening to the book. So that may be, uh, that may be something else on the agenda. Well, I, my uh, father, I know a, a certain young Englishman who uh, is uh, has a very good reading voice, as he told me, because he was the reader at seminary. So uh, maybe maybe you could tap him up. Yeah, maybe and, we uh, could. And that the the the, the received pronunciation, uh, you know, had so much more class to it than than you know my simple Midwestern accent. You know, <laughs> exactly. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm too. Uh, I'm I'm too common, as the English would say. So my accent would be out of it. So, but I, I think I think Matthew might uh, make a good uh, good addition. Actually, the, the, best, saying that. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the best would be the cut glass, uh, upper class accent of Bishop Williamson. But uh, you know, for some reason, I don't think he's going to be available for that. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, so. Well, uh, I'd like to thank you, my Lord and Father, for another entertaining uh, show. And um, we'll hopefully see you next month. Okay. Looking forward. All right. Very good. Thanks very much for your help. Thank you for listening to Francis Watch. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration... I am Dan Fitton. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.